0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further
1: ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word.
0: All right, so here's a question. i like to open with the question, how much money do you need to live on? You ever figured out that, that number? Um, yikes, I heard. Um, Uh, that number seems to increase, right? It doesn't sort of stay stagnant or flat. Inflation, have you heard of that? Um, Or the stock market, the volatility of the stock market, the uncertainty of the future. Um, It seems like dual income is like mandatory. Um, Even if you had no inflation, marketers are going to tell us we need more, right? There's a business out there advertising. They want us to get the bigger house, uh, the nicer cars, the better vacations. Uh, so I'm part of a small group, and one guy asked us, so what do we need? What, what do we want, and what do we need? Wow, what do we need? Do we need anything? And it seems like in America, we have everything we could we, we really need, and we just want a lot of things. Um, I'm t- currently taking a Dave Ramsey course, uh, Financial Peace University. Some of you guys have, t- have taken that, and he's got a lot of cool sayings. And um, he has this... Uh, this, these things like you want to live like no one else, so you can live like no one else, and you want to have gazelle like intensity and to reach your financial goals. And he has these seven baby steps. Um, I got a picture here; it probably won't show up that great. Let's see if it. So, start out, you know, thousand dollar emergency fund. Uh, then you want to pay off all your debt except for your mortgage, and then three to six months emergency fund. Uh, save up for that, and then fifteen percent. Try to save for retirement the next 15% of your income, and then save for your kids' education, and pay off your home early, and then build wealth, and then give generously. So why does he promote this? Well, that's he, he his living, that's what he does, but it helps. It helps people unshackle from debt and live their best life, and in general, his principles are biblical. They're, they really fall in line with, um, from bygone days, Larry Paquette, Ron um, Blue, uh, but But what does the Bible say? What does God want? Um, And we're going to go back to the Bible for answers uh, in Scripture. It's going to help us evaluate saving and spending, uh, but it does far more than that, and it goes deeper than that, than just like a Band-Aid fix. So let's go to Matthew, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going back to Matthew, verses 19 through 24, and Pat Huckstra is going to come up here and read for us. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word?
1: you cannot serve God and money.
0: Thanks, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is light and life for us. We ask you in your kindness, by your power, your spirit, that you would provide for us ministry to our souls. Uh, We give you this time. We want to steward it well, and we ask that you'd help us focus and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, thanks, Pat and John. So as we work through Matthew, the pastors, we got together, and we came up with a big idea statement. And if you might remember it. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. And so if you look through Matthew, you'll see this theme woven throughout it. Right now in chapter 6, what's happening? Do you recall? The Sermon on the Mount. Exactly. Jesus gets up on a mountainside, has his followers with him. The crowds are kind of dispersed, and it's his, the, the inner group, his inner crowd. And he's up there, and he's teaching about a whole host of things. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, from chapter 5 through 7. He begins with their heart. He begins with the heart of the disciple, and then charges them to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. He then sets a bar for success. You you want to know what success is? If you want to enter heaven, disciples need to be more right with God than the religious experts of the day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. His disciples have to be people with an appetite for righteousness. How? What is it to be righteous? Well, one way to measure that is to benchmark the laws. And so he gives a sample of six rules or regulations, commands that you find in the Old Testament. And so we hear about things like murder and adultery. We hear about divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving, loving others. The ultimate measurement that we hear in the end of chapter 5 is, is quite startling. In chapter 5, verse 48, it is a righteousness to be like God, God's righteousness, to be like him in complete moral perfection. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How is that possible? I can't do that. I think that's the point. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. The measure of the disciple is a brokenness. Is a, a, it goes back to the heart, the Beatitudes. is to be poor in spirit, humble, merciful. And that poverty of spirit creates a receptivity in our spirit for God's mercy. Righteousness is the goal, and it's, it's not just about following rules. In chapter 6, we see what, what people generally think of when they think about righteous living. It's not just following rules, but it's also spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And so he covers three. Do you remember what they are? There's one is almsgiving or giving to the poor, prayer, which we talked about in Sunday school. In January, we take a a month to kind of focus on prayer. And then fasting. That's one that uh, I struggle with. I'm not a fan of necessarily. But uh, poor poverty, uh, this creates a uh, giving to the poor, prayer, and abstaining from things um, are things that we might think of when we think of a religious person. However, people can do those religious things for the wrong reasons. And Jesus brings this up. Some are motivated for what? They're motivated not for a heavenly reward for this relationship with the Lord. They're motivated by what other people think of them. It's about a show. Those are, Jesus calls them the hypocrites. They want to be seen by others. Others, he calls the Gentiles, they're doing it to try to twist God's, you know, God's uh, agenda. I'm trying to get something for me. They think they can dictate God's rewards if they jump through the right religious hoops like a magic Potion or phrase. Jesus said, neither work. These people get their reward, but it isn't from the father. When we get to verse 19, Jesus addressed a different group of people, those seeking, they're not seeking to really be religiously rewarded or fake, uh, falsely religious. They're seeking actually earthly rewards. If one group Jesus spoke of was more religious, this group uh, was not. Ultimately, he's offering something, offering us something about life. Either we're either we're living for this life, or the one to come. We're living for this kingdom, our kingdom, or we're living for His kingdom. And so the passage, I think, breaks down really nicely into three sections. For looking at structure, structure helps us understand what is he trying to get at here. Two commands, two eyes, two masters. Or uh, Pastor Mike, I, I read his manuscript today. Um, he's at Sawyer preaching. And I, I really like, he said, two treasures, uh, I like that. So two commands, verses 19 through 21, two eyes, verses 22 through 23, and, and two masters, verse 24. So let's walk through this. I think the big idea, what's he getting at, is we need to invest in, in heaven, not earth. We need to invest our life in heaven, not earth. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to look at verse 19. I'm just going to walk through verse by verse. Verse 19, it says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. This is a negative command. Do not. And it contrasts the positive one, which you'll tell in verse two or 20. He's not saying, now note this, he's not saying investment, investments and saving is a bad thing. And I'll get to why, but instead he's using money to talk about the heart. Look at verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus wants his followers to do what? He wants them to invest in heaven, to to look up and invest in heaven. Why? Well, he tells them. What does he say? Earthly rewards don't last, they do in heaven. In verse 20, neither moth and rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. When you invest in heavenly stock, it doesn't decay or disappear. It's not, it not going to break or bankrupt. And you can't tax it, and no one can take it from you. Um, Some of you like John MacArthur, uh, he wrote this, Nothing we own is completely safe from destruction or theft. And even if we keep our possessions perfectly secure during our entire lives, we are certainly separated from them at death. Many millionaires will be heavenly paupers, and many paupers will be heavenly millionaires. I like how he says that at the end. People who have all this, when they get to heaven, if they get to heaven... That's not, that's not the measurement of your heavenly reward, how much you have here. Again, Jesus is not condemning savings. He's not condemning investing. And the reason I say that is because the Bible talks about the value of, uh, of doing that elsewhere. And Jesus doesn't contradict the Bible. I, I've found a few verses that I think uh, the Bible talks about money. And I, I would highlight one. You, it's important for us to provide for our families. Um, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. It's important for us to provide, if we can, for our families. It's good to work. Uh, two, leave an inheritance. Um, you'd have to save to do this. In Proverbs 13.22, a general principle is, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, so your grandchildren. That's a, the Bible sees value in that. Um, not everybody can We understand that, but there's a a principle there. Uh, The principle of saving. Proverbs speaks on the principle of saving. It says this, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so it takes work to have something in wintertime. Ants take care of their business we should as well saving is good according to this principle in the proverbs a fourth principle in scripture in the proverbs uh, uh, 22 verse 7 says this a, a rich ruler of a rich rules over the poor the borrower is a slave to the lender of the lender and so in general it's good to avoid debt in some cases we can um understandable jesus is not contradicting the word he's teaching something that's deeper What is he teaching? Well, let's look at the context. He's getting at the heart, remember, in the beginning of the Beatitudes. And he says in the beginning that there are some heavenly rewards for some people. In chapter 5, verse 3, if you have a Bible, you can go to there. Chapter 5, verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The poverty of spirit is a humility of spirit. There's an understanding of who we are and who God is and our poverty and a need for God's generosity and mercy. Uh, In chapter 6, verse 10, he states Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The righteous has a heavenly stake in the face of worldly opposition. There's a value in pursuing maybe what the world says you don't need to pursue. And if you think that, you know, the property values have gone up in the last few years, especially as as you get closer to that lake, consider the property value of heaven. The streets are gold. I think we we too often forget the spiritual realities that exist and the blessings that God offers, the rewards he promises for those who put their faith in Jesus. And not themselves. In chapter six, verses one through eighteen, we learn that giving in secret, and praying in secret, and fasting in secret, has some value to God. So it procures some recognition to the heavenly Father. There is reward in the spiritual practices. That being the case, what is Jesus getting at? What is he getting at? Store up treasure in heaven. Is he saying fast, and pray, and give in secret? Those are good things. Why do we do them? God wants a relationship with us. And so he, he's calling us into relationship. And I think he explains a little bit more of what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven in verse 21. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, where we invest our resources, our time, our energy, our money, Is indicative of what we value and where our heart is. And God wants our hearts. Where's our heart? Where's your heart? Where's my heart? And obviously you've taken the time this morning to focus on your heart on a little bit. Like I, I want to, I'm going to be here. You have an opportunity right here to be in, in the presence of God's word, to sing songs to him, to pray w- to him. You have, a, you have an opportunity to orient yourself towards the living God who's made all heaven and earth. And I think it's, it's good for us to take stock, to evaluate, to think through, um, especially in the beginning of the year, if we audit our time, what will we see? If we, we look at our credit cards and debit card statements, what do we find? If we, if we track our internet browsing s- history, what do we discover? We will see what we value as we do a deep dive into what we've invested in. So let me ask you what do you treasure? What do you seek? What do you want? What do you love? What do you value? Where are you investing? So teachers can't have all the fun. I thought we'd do an assessment. Um, And this is just an exercise just between you and God. You can write it on your phone. You can write it on um, the bulletin uh, in your Connect card. Just write down, or if you don't have anything to write, just think through one thing that maybe in 2023... Uh, As you think through and do some introspection, you value, you love, you want, you seek, you treasure too much. Just take a moment to think, what what might that be? So God wants our hearts. As we think about our priorities, where does God land on that priority list? Jesus wanted to reform the disciple, the follower of him, to be a person God wants him to be. I have a, a relatively wealthy friend who left his job in Southwest Michigan for a better work-life balance. He, he didn't want any more money. He didn't need it. He wanted, what did he want? He wanted more time with his family and God. And from his seat, he, you know, from my seat, I'm like, well, that's a good problem to have, but, uh, but it was a problem. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? My friend recognized this problem, so he gave up his wealthy position to store up treasure in heaven. And and like my my friend, Jesus is inviting his followers to do the same, to, to pursue God. That, meant embrace, that means embracing humility and a poverty of spirit, a purity of mind, a, a mercy towards others, doing right things. He wants his people to love his enemies and pray for those who persecute them. He wants them to give and pray and fast and not to show off or build a following, but for a better relationship, to pursue a better relationship with their heavenly father. And so we have an opportunity through spiritual disciplines, through obedience, through, to make an effort to build that relationship with God, to cultivate our hearts, to, to help shape our hearts according to the word and follow after God who's inviting us to, to follow along. We can all do this together as a family of faith, We're, we don't have to be alone. Where are we investing? Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 13. We'll get to it as we walk through Matthew. There's a farmer, probably not that great of a farmer, and that's not the point. He's throwing seed indiscriminately, right? And you might remember the story. He throws seed, and some, the birds come, and they fly and take it away. Some seed falls on rocky soil, and it grows, but then it's choked out. Uh, Some falls in weeds, and, and the weeds choke it out. The last falls on really good soil, and what happens to it? Do you remember it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. He says the seed is the word of God. And so he's sharing this this truth and the word invested can can bear much fruit, like a heavenly reward. In the same way, as we steward the little resources we have, the loaves and the fishes, the the little time, the little energy, the little uh, resources we have for the God's glory, whether it's you know, something that's, that seems clearly spiritual or whether it's something that maybe just be a, what we do, we're taking care of relatives. It can bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. You know, we might think uh, right now, the T the bill, the treasury bill is like a 4% uh, return on investment. We're like, that's pretty good. Or, or if you're a stock market, you know, you're like, man, if we could get 8% this year, that'd be awesome. Well, if we get a 100 fold return, a thousand percent return, Isn't that incredible? A prayer answered, a cheerful greeting, a text of encouragement could be a tiny seed done in the power of the Spirit that could change someone's life. And we may never know about it. We may get to the end of our lives and never know the blessings that we were to somebody else. It might prevent someone from a destructive sin or lead them toward a good work. Jesus is saying, following him, investing like this has an incredible impact. God's return or ROI beats hands down any emerging market or bull run. We don't always see the results. But turning our attention to seek the Lord and his ways, investing in him and turning our attention to him is this invitation he's offering his followers. No matter the cost. The apostle Paul, he got this. The Lord turned his heart around. He was this amazing um, persecutor of Christian faith. And he turns his heart around and he spends his life to share his faith with people who have never heard him. He's going out to the ends of the earth and he's sharing. and, and, And this is what he says. He's faced prison. He's faced persecution. He's been betrayed, beaten. He will die for his faith. He says this, if then you've been raised with Christ in Colossians, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died. Your your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's good news. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Paul invites us to to look to heaven. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our trials and difficulties and burdens and, and conflicts that all we see is this. And the reality is there's so much more at work here than we can even Im- imagine. Jesus explained the importance of his followers in the next few verses. So he talks about the commands. We talk about, now he talks about eyes. This is a little complicated. Look at this. Look at verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Does that make sense to you? That can be a little... We we sat around as pastors talking about this for an hour. Like This is like, what is going on here? Um, These might be challenging. and Actually, the most challenging verses in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Hebrew culture, I read that the eye is like the heart. It's an organ that helps... The body, sea, or a lamp help the, helps direct us, avoid danger, and pursue what's good. If they're bad, we are in an unhealthy, dangerous place. And we get that. And I think there is some ways that we look at things. Temptation, for example, seems reasonable for a moment. And from a parental observation deck, I've got some kids here, you know, we know sin is, is bad. It has painful and hurtful consequences, and people tend to be lured by sin that makes sense, and it's attractive. You think about Adam and Eve, there's an apple, It's something sweet, pleasant, enjoyable. Couldn't be that bad. A little slip here, a little compromise there, a, a little lie. We don't want to go down a place of darkness, of unhealthiness. So what does Jesus mean by light being dark? I think the person going down a risky path of sin and worldliness might think this is a good way. It's a broad way. It's a pleasant way. It's a right way. But think of how um, tricky those lies are that we can tell ourselves. You know, everyone does it, it's not that bad. Why would it be wrong if it feels good? God's forgiving it. I'm, I'm just gonna do it, and he'll forgive me. I move forward. No one's gonna know. It's only once. It won't hurt. Won't hurt anyone. See, the lies are just—they're just taking something, and they're just taking a good thing and they're twisting it. It's dark. At times, the blindness people make—they mistake what's good as bad, and what's bad as good. I think we see this in our culture. So Jesus is is, is trying to help us have. A good perspective, a good vision on things, to bring light to the darkness and invest our lives in heaven, not earth. It's kind of the, the big idea here. The earthly rewards are poor substitutes for heavenly ones. What are we seeking? May our eyes land upon good on the good and godly objects. Now, some of us have better eyes. At night, as I'm getting older, it seems like things are glaring more, and I I hear that's normal. Um, And if I'm not careful, my eyes could endanger myself and others down the road. We need healthy eyes. In the same way, we want a healthy spiritual eyes, to see the world from a spiritual perspective. How do we do that? Well, certainly we want to go back to the Bible. We want to teach what the Bible says. We want to go and understand what God is saying to us personally, and he wants to speak to us. And there's a danger, I think, as we move away from the Bible to gain a moral cataract of some, of some sort, a danger of of following our own desires or following the world's desires or the devils. Uh, R. T. France is a commentator, so when I write uh, or a sermon I'm looking I'm, I look at a commentator later on and, and he picks up there's some things going on with the Hebrew words here of bad eye that is different than what we can communicate necessarily easily in. English, it's something like as it pairs with uh, storing up treasure and like building your wealth here on earth, it's something about greed. And so he says this in view of the recognized meaning of the bad eye to denote selfish greed or meanness, it seems likely this saying is meant to indicate that one indication of a person's spiritual health is their generosity or lack of it in the use of material possessions. So we can measure our spiritual health, and how we allocate our resources. And what our our perspective, our ultimate aims are in life. God wants us to trust him and, and live with an open hand, an open heart towards his gifts. Everything we have is on loan, from our children to our possessions. You know, certainly, you know, we are a bunch of hardworking people in general. We can do a lot. We have a lot of freedom and we can accomplish a lot in America. And it's amazing what we're, what we're able to produce. But all this is a gift from God. And we'd be foolish to deny that. How do we view our resources impacts our soul? Are they on loan? Or are they mine? Is it about your kingdom Or his kingdom? Is it about my kingdom or his kingdom? So here's some questions. What are you treasuring in life? What are you seeking in life? What are you wanting out of life? What are you loving in life? What are you valuing in life? What we are seeing and spending our resources on can change how we are. If I watch and invest a lot of time into violent movies, and I I like action movies, I desensitize myself to to violence. In the same way, if I go back to the Bible and start meditating on the Bible, it it shapes how I think about things. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, your heart will be also. All right, I got another test. Surprise. Okay, take that, that thing you wrote down in your phone or in your connect card or in your head, that thing that you, in 2023, man, I treasure too much. I love too much. I want too much. I, I, I value too much. And I want you to ask yourself this, why? Why is that? Okay, come up with that answer. Why is that? Why do I do that? Okay, it's hard if you didn't write it down because I'm trying to do it myself Realize I'm doing this. Why is that? So ask that why question a second time. Why is that? Why why is that? And then we can ask ourselves another time, a third time, why is that? And we can keep asking that question and drill down, drill down to our base level motivation of why we do something. What's our motivation? What treasure are we seeking? What are we wanting? What are we loving? What are we valuing? And I think we come to things like comfort or safety or pleasure or respect or love. Or you fill in the blank. And those things aren't bad, right? So wanting, craving, loving, treasuring, it's not bad. It's just, it's perspective. It's, It's amount. It's what is ultimate. See, these good things are fine things, but are nasty idols. God gives us good gifts for us to worship him and thank him for them, but they're poor substitutes for him. The big idea is to invest your life in heaven, not earth. 1 Timothy chapter 5 uh, tells us that it's not the money is the root of all kinds of evil, but what? That's right, love. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we love it. It will destroy us. We need money. The world functions with money. But it's a bad God. The final section turns clearly to economics, so we've talked about commands, we've talked about about eyes, and now two masters, the masters, verse 24. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand, we either are for God or against him. There's no middle ground. Again, it's not saying we don't work. We don't, we don't make money. We don't spend money. We don't save money. Jesus is going to the heart. Where is our heart? Which kingdom are we living for? This one is going to Burn. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. We only have so much money. Today is the day we have before us. And then, God asks us, where are we investing? Turn to God and follow him. Follow him, brothers and sisters, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Join me and let's follow him today. There's a I want to tell a story of Samuel Holton. You probably haven't heard of him. I didn't until I looked this guy up. He's from Massachusetts. He's a shoe retailer. He did it for 30 years, had 14 kids. Can you imagine that? 14 kids. It was in the 1800s. People did that. Um, He was a faithful member of his church. One day his sister reached out to him and she had a son Didn't have any more than a fifth-grade education. Seventeen years old. Needed a job. 1855. Will you hire him? Is he going to take a risk? He's got 14 miles to feed. Is he going to hire this kid? What kind of work ethic does he do? He hires him. He takes a risk. So his investment, his his stewardship of the resources he has. You know what? I'm going to hire this kid. On one condition, though, you got to go to Sunday school. So go to Sunday school. Uh, I'll plug that for Mike next week. Go to Sunday school. He can say, go to Sunday school. And guess what happens? With this little investment, he gets saved. His 17-year-old nephew becomes a believer. He was in a different religion before that. This young man becomes a shoe salesman. He travels all the way over here, Chicago, and is a shoe salesman. And then he becomes an evangelist, starting to share his faith about Jesus. So much so that he starts a school. Dr. Lyle Dorsett wrote this about him. Few people have done more to evangelize lost souls and mentor and train the next generation to fulfill the great commission. That shoe salesman, that kid with only a fifth grade education was D.L. Moody. Pastor Mike went there. Pastor Jeff went there. Doug Carlson went there. A number of, uh, of people at our church have gone there. This little investment of giving a kid a job with a condition, saying, hey, you're going to benefit from this? You've got to do this. Taking a risk, investing in heaven like this, has borne eternal rewards. You know, we, don't, we can't change the past, but we have today. Where are you investing your resources? Join me and invest in pursuing the Lord. He is a merciful God who forgives us through Jesus of our past and invites us into relationship with him and participate in the wonderful work he's doing. His spirit is alive and well in New Buffalo, in in Converge Community Church, and he's working good things, doing good things, and he invites us to participate. Will you join me? Let's follow him into his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you take our our little loaves and fishes, you take our little effort that we're able to offer as an offering back to you, and multiply it. It it sure is nice to see fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. I pray that you would bear fruit, uh, that we could see some to be encouraged, but that you would bear fruit nonetheless, regardless of whether we see it or not. That our lives, our energy, our money, our Our time would be just an offering back to you in praise for your great mercy and grace seen primarily at the cross. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and then to sing back our praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.